Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. We're excited to bring you a conversation that a new person who is new to Audubon, but certainly not new to the coastal and New Orleans resilience space, had recently with Oliver Thomas on his show on WBOK. We're re-airing the audio with permission from WBOK. And yeah, it's a great conversation about New Orleans and the risks and opportunities that exist here and why we really need to focus on water and water management and coastal restoration. So to kind of kick it off, I wanted to first introduce you to the person you'll hear in the interview, um, and that is Charles Allen, Community Engagement Director with the National Audubon Society, focusing on the Gulf Coast. Welcome to Delta Dispatches, Charles. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So you had a recent conversation with Oliver Thomas about coastal restoration and diversions and all those topics. That's not, uh, these aren't new topics for you. You've been working in the space for quite a while, right? Right, exactly, exactly. In fact, being a lifelong resident of this area, it's kind of hard to not have this situation bleed into every aspect of life. So, especially in my, in terms of my activities uh, post-Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so your family has been here for quite a while, and I'm sure like many people have been, you know, impacted by the environment in various ways. Exactly, exactly. In fact, my family's history goes back um, maybe a good three to four generations here in the city. Wow. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of the roles you had before coming to Audubon. So um, some years back, I worked at an academic and research center that was a partnership between Tulane and Xavier Universities. It was known as the Center for Bioenvironmental Research. Now it's called the Biowater Institute. And um, in fact, that's where our senior executive, Doug Mefford, and I first met. And at that center, especially post-Katrina, we were involved in various concerted efforts on drawing attention, both on an academic research side, but also on the community side, to the, the importance of ecosystem restoration. And in fact, one of the reasons why there was such a heavy focus back then was because of the fact that, you know, the academic as well as uh, every day, what I'm gonna call sector of society here, recognized that the huge failure, you might say, of, of how floodwaters um, just basically inundated this area post-Katrina was a man-made situation. But thankfully, we've come to realize it's a man-made situation that can be reversed. And it's going to require, of course, man-made and other efforts to reverse it. And, and then after that, my years in, at Tulane, I then went on to work in the um, uh, Mayor Mitch Landry's administration. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was his advisor on coastal and environmental affairs and directed the office of that same name. And then uh, these last two years before coming to Audubon, I worked as a community engagement manager in the city's Office of Resilience and Sustainability, which was basically coastal and environmental affairs, you might say, taken to the next level. <laughs> right. And I mean, obviously, we saw, particularly like in his second term, that Mayor Landry really became um, a, a voice for the coast and would champion the message that New Orleans is, in fact, a coastal city and we need to be attuned to, to these issues. Exactly. In fact, um, it was a concerted effort on his and our part, and I would say it was welcomed enthusiastically on the part of a number of citizens and partners from the uh, NGO sectors as well as um, academic sectors. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we realize now more than ever the Gulf Coastline is not very far from our city, 
And as we say all the time, as it relates to our surrounding parishes, you know, our friends and our neighbors, so go the so goes those surrounding parishes, so goes the city, you know. And um, tell us a little bit about you know your role now at Audubon and why you're excited to be a part of our organization. So my role here at Audubon now is focused on how can we, as a um, an environmental advocacy organization, do a better job of engaging those communities, in particular communities of color and others that have traditionally been maybe not as involved as they should as it relates to ecosystem restoration. Um, and so with that in mind, I'm trying to then sort of map out a strategy, um, seeking the input of some key informants and key groups on how we as a group, especially within our whole MRD coalition, can do a better job of such engagement. And and I mean, this is something I think that we recognize every day. I mean, let's face it, no matter what body of work you're dealing with, be it uh, environmental work, be it educational work, there's always a need to better improve on engagement of those key relevant stakeholders and individuals, you know. I say all the time, you know, don't be too upset. There's room for improvement for all of us. Let's just work together on in charting a path in that direction, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's literally one step at a time but you have to start stepping right and you, you so, got to start somewhere yeah, yeah. and yeah. and i mean louisiana and new orleans is, is, is such diverse places right and oh we God. have to be working with people across all sectors across all backgrounds to kind of absolutely you know, un confront these challenges and opportunities absolutely well, in, f in fact we all always treat our our um you might say our asset of diversity mm -hmm as something that we should embrace and of course that it provides a whole host of opportunities in this regard. That's great. Well, um, I'm, I don't want to take too much of your time. I hope you can come back to Delta Dispatches and uh, you know we can get have a more thorough conversation but I'll let your conversation with uh, with Mr. Oliver Thomas uh, speak for itself because it really was a great interview. Um, but before I go, one fun question for you. What is your favorite po boy? Let's go with that. Oh my goodness. I would have to say it is a shrimp po boy. Yeah, because I can remember years ago as a child, a little child, um, going out fishing and shrimping with my grandfather on my mom's side of the family. And so really and truly, you might say my first bit of seafood that I enjoy was shrimp and shrimp po' boy, so I have to go with that. Yeah, and then nothing like a homemade shrimp po' boy too, Absolutely. homemade fried shrimp. All right, Absolutely. well thank you so much Charles Allen, Community Engagement Director with National Audubon Society, um, and with that I will hand it over to Mr. Oliver Thomas who is going to speak with Charles about New Orleans and coastal issues. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, also available online, deltadispatches.org. You're listening to The Good Morning Show with Oliver O.T. Thomas. We're back. Welcome back to The Good Morning Show. 8.58 a.m. in the morning, man. We want to thank uh, Steve Myers from The Lens. Uh, new revelations about the energy power plant. Nikita Shavers, one of our New Orleans Angels, Executive Director of the Narrow Shavers uh, Educational Fund, the DSEF Scholarship Essay Contest. Uh, on the way. And the topic, what could make you feel safer in school? So any... Young folk, uh, please write a, uh, an essay, 250 to 500 words on that topic. Get it to uh, the De Niro Shavers Educational Fund, and you could possibly win scholarships in the studio right now. Uh, man, one of our great, from one of New Orleans' great families, 
Mr. Charles Allen, the Community Engagement Director of the Gulf South for National Audubon Society. Man, welcome to the Good Morning Show. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate being here. Well, we appreciate uh, you being here. First of all, Charles, uh, you know, for those of us who've been around the town, we know your family, uh, its commitment uh, yes. to the Night Wall, to yes, New Orleans, yes. uh, to New Orleans politics and, and society. Uh, but but tell us how Charles Allen, and especially this group that you work with and its mission. Well, first of all, just as yourself, my brother, love New Orleans, love our city, its people, everything about it. Um, I recently came on board, as you alluded to, mm-hmm. as the community engagement director here at the National Audubon Society, focused on Gulf Coast community engagement. And um, one of the reasons why I'm here, as you probably know as well, is that we as a people – all people, in particular, the black people of our community, people of color, we need to be aware of an array of different issues. And as it, as it relates to this one I'm going to talk about is that of the environment. Mm-hmm. And in particular, the issue of the vanishing wetlands that surround our beautiful city. You know, as we are celebrating, of course, our tricentennial this year, we, of course, recognize that going forward, we've got to do a better a better job as it relates to a lot of different aspects of our life. One of those is how we protect our environment in order to further sustain life beyond 300 years. Okay, And so in particular, this issue this morning, and again, as we're in the midst of hurricane season, our focus is on the vanishing wetlands. So this is important to us, these wetlands, because they provide that critical buffer, Mm -hmm. that critical protection for our city as it relates to storm Storm surge. That's right from major storms and hurricanes. We know, as as we're in the midst of another hurricane season, it's not a matter of if, but when. There are going to be cousins of Katrina and Mm -hmm. Rita that come knocking at the door, you know, possibly every year. And so, as it relates to these wetlands, the parishes of St. Bernard, Plaquemines, even Lower Coast Jefferson, those parishes that surround us and Mm -hmm. that you might say insulate us, so goes those parishes, so goes our buffer, and so goes New Orleans. Um, the coastline, the Gulf Coastline, is getting closer and closer to the city. Okay, mm-hmm. um, we know a football field every uh, hundred yeah, minutes. We're losing basically a football field of land every hundred minutes, and since the 1930s, mm-hmm. we've lost land equivalent to the the state of uh, Delaware in terms of size. Um, and unless we act, and action is going to take a number of years mm-hmm. ahead of us. Unless we act, we could continue to lose up to 4,000 square miles of land over the next 50 years. Now, now Charles Allen, let's talk about your work with the, uh, first of all, Restore uh, the Mississippi River Delta, your, your role as uh, uh, one of the leaders uh, with the, uh, uh, what's the organization again? Basically, National Audubon Society. The National Audubon and Society. And our state office is Audubon, Louisiana. Uh, you touched on something earlier, and I think it, it's, it's important. Uh, the African-American community, you know, keep black folk absolutely uh, need to be as engaged in the environment That's right. and what's happening with our planet That's as right. anyone. As well, we are de- we are probably more dependent on it That's right. than anyone. We find a lot of times in communities such as ours that at the end of the day, there are many people of color who are impacted by these issues, and we need to get away from the mindset of oh, a particular topic or mm-hmm. a particular issue is relegated to only certain groups. No, we are all impacted by this. Okay, especially our people here, our people of color, our African American folks in the mm-hmm. city of New Orleans. And we know, look, we've got friends and relatives that live in those parishes around us. Okay, we know people move and continue to move throughout time. I've got good friends that live down in Plaquemines, and so I know. They feel 
home and life down there is right. as important to them That's as right. it is to us here in the city of New Orleans, you know? Now, I want to talk about, uh, for folk who don't understand it, uh, natural topography. Uh, nature uh, has done its own engineering, yeah. right? Uh, as fascinating as the human body is and how it's connected by a creator or or that uh that uh, uh left leaning amino acid or whatever right. that gene was that right. brought us to this level of uh intelli- well uh, hopefully intelligence uh, right. uh we know that nature uh has a perfect design yeah it's a dynamic we, 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 we we've interfered with that oh we have we have we've interfered with it in a lot of respects to help us sustain life in particular mm-hmm. i'm speaking to the issue of levees and flood walls so over time as the Corps of Engineers, way back when, built mm-hmm. levees mm-hmm. to help protect our people. The levying of that river cut off the natural lifeblood to the vanishing sediments, the sediment. Could, to continue to grow That's land right. That's right. So as we have tinkered and tampered with that delicate environment, we've cut off that sediment. But there's hope. So mm-hmm. here's the hope. There are projects that are under design right now where basically – if these projects are evolved and implemented over time, right. they can help bring sediment into those vanishing wetland areas. Charles Allen, uh, there have been a lot of skeptics. We hear, especially at the highest levels now, coming out of Washington, especially this president, right. uh, that don't believe in global warming. Uh, they don't believe, uh, they believe nature is just doing its thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't believe in a lot of these diversion projects. Uh, you're saying that they work? Yeah, we know it. We know from from the science, from the engineering. Now, let me also preface this by saying, uh, just like anything in life, nothing in life is perfect. Well, there's a quote by, I think, by Lozu or Confucius that says, nature does not have to insist. That's right. And at the end of the day, we're not going to regenerate the environment mm-hmm. back to how it was originally. Mm-hmm. But we've got to take action as much as possible to get that lifeblood sediment back into those vanishing wetlands. And if I can put it in layman's terms, uh, uh, when you're talking to scientists, you yeah. know, it's, it's uh, especially someone as brilliant as this young man, you're saying that if we don't do these things, what we've protected is in jeopardy. That's right. Inaction is not a good option as it relates to this issue. We have to, over time, through careful engineering, study how do we go about, uh, first of all, building and implementing these diversion systems, mm-hmm. and then over the course of the lifetime of those systems, how do we go about allowing those, that sediment to flow, that river to flow in that area, so that over time we do see an appreciable regeneration of those vanishing wetlands. We're talking to Charles Allen, the Community Engagement Director for the Gulf Coast National Gulf Coast National Audubon Society, the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion Project. What's at stake for New Orleans and for coastal erosion? Uh, Simply for our listening audience here, and you can, guys can call in if you want, 504-260-9265. What is at stake for New Orleans? Well, as I alluded to, what's at, what's at stake is this. If we don't, over time, go about to regenerate those vanishing wetlands, we as a city, as well as our other surrounding neighbors and parishes, we lose that natural buffer of wetlands. So picture it as a storm, tropical storm or hurricane is moving into the area. There are natural defenses, such as the wetlands, barrier islands, vegetation, you name it, that can slow down and cut off the intensity. Same role barrier reefs play around the world. That's right. Or like a speed bump on Mm -hmm. the street. Slow you down. Cut off that intensity. And so, and that's a natural system there Mm -hmm. that we've lost over time because of, because of, as you spoke to earlier, man just tinkering and tampering. Mm -hmm. Tinkering and tampering for 
would worthwhile benefits. Mm -hmm. But as we know, the environment is such a dynamic system. And I remember years ago in school learning from a teacher of mine who said, one change changes everything. (laughs) So we got to be careful how we go about implementing some changes. But thankfully, thankfully, we know that there is hope if we can properly engineer and design these diversion systems Mm -hmm. so that at the right time of the year when there's a high river Mm -hmm. stage and there's ample sediment coming through, open up those diversion systems. Let's talk about that, Charles Allen, because that's important. And uh, this is a good conversation for our listening audience. You said if we could properly design. uh, Of course, Natalie Robot, the president of St. John Parish, uh, uh, she became nationally famous when she stood in the middle of I-10 and said, hey, hold on, you guys protected every place right. else and you kind of right. diverted. Right. You kind of, because you didn't d- design the system to protect us, right. you left us exposed. They're finding that out in other parts of the region. In our haste to build and protect the city, right. Right. Uh, we kind of forgot about the rest of the stuff. Yeah, we, what, what we've done over time, and unfortunately, you know, man does this every way he goes and every way he develops. Uh-huh. Over the time, we will develop areas, but we lose sight of, as I do a development here. What, what impact? What are the impacts elsewhere? What are the impacts to the environment, to mm-hmm. fisheries, not, you know, so on and so forth? But thankfully, and this is kind of a clarion call that's been mm-hmm. going out for a number of years. Like, for instance, Katrina and Rita were times when you might say there was a loud clarion call from residents and other NGO groups that we've got to do something to deauthorize mm-hmm. the Mr. Goat, Okay. We recognized there was that wall of water that came crashing into our area when Katrina came. 35 feet of it, huh? Yeah. So for the most part, thankfully, we realized, look, and we went about deauthorizing that channel, Mm -hmm. and we're trying to, through the state's coastal master plan and some of the projects that I'm talking about here with folks, is put things, put projects in place that over time help us to regenerate that environment that over the years we've just we've lost and we've diminished. Now, Charles Allen, uh, well, real important conversation, man. Give us a call. I see the call. We, we, uh, please uh, uh, keep your calls coming through. We'll answer them in a minute. Uh, 504-260-9265, a powerful, important conversation about the Mid-Barataria Sentiment Diversion Project. What's at stake for New Orleans and coastal uh, erosion? Uh, the diversion project is one thing. Uh, we diverted the river. Uh, we're now hearing conversations. I think Press Kabakov and his wife and many others, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, 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 the doctor from t- t- uh, Tulane, uh, okay. who's dealt with the river, the Tulane and their river project. Mm-hmm. The and, river and coastal studies uh, work. And coastal studies work. Yeah. They have talked about maybe what if we do something else or if we allow the Mississippi to take its natural course. Right. How prominent is that in some of the research and some of the science and that you guys are considering sure. when you talk about diversion? Well, let me just say this. There's an array of different options, an array of different approaches, but in particular, as it relates to these diversion systems and mm-hmm. these two projects here, the Mid-Barataria right. uh, Basin Project as well as Mid-Breton Sound uh, Basin Project, we know. Um, and like I said, the Corps of Engineers and mm-hmm. the state folks right now are going about designing and focusing on how can we implement these projects right. so that over time there is ample benefit, okay, as much as possible? We realize that inaction, you know, just waiting for sediment to flow is just not a good option. That's it's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen to the extent that we need it Too to Too much happen. tampering. Right. We need, we need a lot of sediment right. to come into this right. area, okay? Right. Um, 
Because we're talking about years and years of cutting it off. Before we go to the lines, tell our listening audience what sediment is, for those who may not know. So basically, think about it like this. As you go and look at that muddy Mississippi River, Mm -hmm. it is what it is. It's it's its color because of the muddy, the muddiness, the clays, the sediments. That rich lifeblood, all Mm -hmm. that sediment, all that mud and clay, as it goes into the areas and builds up the wetland areas, it allows for the vegetation. Mm-hmm. So certain wetland grasses, cypress trees, you name it. Fisheries. Then, right, right. Oh, and speaking of that, which is the focus of Audubon, as we go about regenerating these wetlands, we also regenerate and enhance critical bird habitat areas, okay? Mm-hmm. We have, which is critical to our whole ecosystem in, in North America, that's period. Right, that's Louisiana's right. bird habitat. That's right, exactly. So. Well, it's it's fascinating, but like I said, um, inaction in this case is not a good option at it's, all. It's why I love uh, how sophisticated my listening audience is. Uh, they're usually uh, in tune with a lot of subjects. This was important. 504-260-9265. James, you're on with uh, Charles Allen. Hey, um, I've been doing a lot of research on indigenous people. And by, by doing that, I've been seeing that uh, the, the trends that they used to uh, do way back in the days, the original, the aboriginal, were these mounds, and they call them the mysterious Indian mounds. Well, in Florida, I just saw this a couple of months ago. As I was leaving Florida, I took the long way home, and um, I saw a museum dedicated to the Indian mounds. So we stop and we go in, and we see that these mounds weren't, they may have been significant in terms of burial and, 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 and culture, but they built the houses on top of those mounds, and mm-hmm. it let the river and the surrounding waters do what it needed to do. Good point. And then, yes. and then instead of instead of trying to control the the, the 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 environment, how about we just learn how to live around it? We, we high fiving in the studio right now. So, <laughs> first of all, Dr. James, uh, thank right. you. We're high fiving here. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of yeah. the biggest mistakes we've made here. That's right. Thank you, thank you, James. All so, right, yeah, all right. no problem. I'm listening. I'm uh, y'all, y'all really look. And 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 I, and I text earlier, but I want to say I want the man to hear my voice if he's still listening. Yeah, I am. I, 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 no, no, this, this other brother said uh, something about our women, man. Who raised you? I just want to say that. Thank Have you. a good day. Some gotcha. good women. Let gotcha. me tell you, <laughs> good uh, mothers and grandmothers. <laughs> so a lot of our public is like people like James yeah. and others understand it a lot more than I think many of our leaders think. Oh, sure. In fact, here's a story that I can relate to. So I can remember years ago, my great-grandmother, who lived in the Treme area, she lived in the Lafitte Projects. Mm -hmm. She even said, back in the 80s, she said, you have to be careful where, what areas you move out to in terms of rain and flood protection. She said, if you go live too far in the east, you got to deal with rising water. Pat Brister, uh, one of our contributors in our Paris President series, she says it all the time. Uh, you know, nature's going to do what it's to do in the areas that it designed to do it. So yeah. we, we can't build enough drainage systems or put up enough. Flow. We have to learn how to live with our nature, but also design what we want to do, what man wants to do to complement what right. nature has already That's right. done. That's right. Because let's face it, we're not all going to just take up course and just go move somewhere else. So let's do what we can to learn how to help nature properly regenerate. I, a great contribution, James. Yeah. Let's go to line two, Reverend Calhoun. Uh, you're Whoa. on, you're on with, uh, Charles Allen. His brother. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. Uh, quick question. Given our current, uh, EPA people, how, how <laughs> are question. they helping? 
Great question. To uh, get these things done that, that, that we see needs to be done. So, Brother Willie, question. how you doing this morning? It's good to hear your voice. I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Now, we're trying to move because we're looking at Bayou Bienvenue, and I know there was some oil spill money that came about. Are, are any of those funds are, are going to be used? But then when we start looking at what's really going on in the canal with the, with, with the uh, attempt to uh, move the lots to another area, disturbing the sediments in there, creating all kind of issues there. EPA, are they proactive in this? Have, have Trump and his administration well, come to understanding? about how dangerous this stuff is? He's going he's to answer that. Here's what I can speak to, Brother Willie. So while I can't speak exactly to how EPA is or is not, given their recent issues they're dealing with at the national level, I can say this as it relates to the Bayou Bienvenue Central Wetlands area that you referenced. In the state's coastal master plan, there is language and there are projects speak that speak to how the state wants to use resources, in particular in this case, BP and other resources from the disaster mm -hmm. of, of several years ago to help get critical sediment into the central wetlands area and then over time uh, do the strategic planting of cypress trees and other vegetation to help that area regenerate over time. So you're touching on something that's very important because that's right in our backyard, of course, in Lower Nine. Thank you. Thank uh, you, Reverend Calhoun, as uh, always. Just, just quickly now. So how then is the community being a part of that 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 moving in that central wetland? Think we'll let him answer while you listen. Thank so, you, Cowell. God bless you. So here's what I would say: How um, are we engaging the community? Yeah, what I would say is this um, to Reverend Willie and anyone: if they want to learn more about this issue as well as learn about how they can get involved in it, mm -hmm. go to this website that I'm gonna recite here: MississippiRiverDelta.org/bash. Uh, backslash 360, okay, MississippiRiverDelta.org, backslash 360. People, if they want to get like a nice virtual mm -hmm. tour of the wetlands and not have to be up in the air flying over it, that site will bring them on what we call a virtual day tour in the Delta. Feel like you're there. But then there's also a link up at the top right-hand corner that says getting involved. The, uh, Reverend Calhoun also, uh, and you, we talked about the importance of, uh, you know, within this topography, within this 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 landscape, this map here, yeah. uh, certain types of plants, vegetation, uh, yeah, cedar, yeah, yeah, certain types of wood is cypress. It, it, cypress th those things are important. Yeah, yeah. In fact, here's a good example of how over time you can literally see how cypress trees and other vegetation got eroded or died off. So if you go across the Bonnie Carey Spillway, mm -hmm. like you're traveling Baton Rouge. And you look over to your right or even to your left, left. you see those stumps, stumps and stalks of old cypress trees. That's a great vegetation. example. That comes from years and years of saltwater intrusion right. and other aspects that just have, over time, killed off that critical wildlife. Well, we're going to go back to the lines right now. Uh, line one, Eric, you're on with uh, Charles Allen, executive director uh, of the community engagement director for Gulf Coast uh, for the Audubon Society. Uh, God bless you. God bless you. Uh, God bless you. All right. I understand that like, the Western states have like a shortage of, of water, and I guess they want to try to get access to some of the areas of the country that have an abundance of water. It seems like we have a shortage of, of soil. Mm -hmm. so, is In there water. a way to exchange resources of, 
to whatever degree we have more water than we know what to do with, and they have a shortage of water, and they feel like they may have an abundance of soil that they know what to do with, and we need soil. Is there any way to exchange those type of resources between two regions? Or? That's yeah, an yeah, excellent yeah, question. Yeah, any way to create an economic opportunity? You know what? I remember a few years ago hearing about how there was an effort in the state of California right. in those areas where basically, as you pointed out, they're drying up, they're, they're dealing with wildfires every year, um, they were looking at how they could perhaps pipeline water from areas where, let's say like our area, where mm-hmm. there's an abundance of water, pipeline it into those areas where they're in desperate need of it. I don't know where they stand with that, that current, with that body of work that they talked about, but you raise a good point there. I mean, let's, let's face it. <clears throat> we, as a, as a country, as a region, we need to always look beyond our barriers, Mm -hmm. look beyond our borders, the parish or county lines to see how can we support communities. If Texas wasn't in the way, we could get water to California quicker. (laughs) But, you know, especially that part from San Antonio to El Paso, and he just cut that part off and we'll be there in a few hours. But it's a concept that you touch on there that has been explored, you know, and probably is continuing to be explored. Eric? Yeah, it's it's definitely the case because, like you said, it's hard to, it's it's good to get silt, but like you said, I mean, man, it seems like so much silt is needed. So there's a way we can get access to soil out west that is conducive to growing, you know, vegetation on that soil. You know, so like, man, they just have, like, you got Idaho, Montana, California, all these empty places. (laughs) Desperately need of water and other resources. (laughs) Thank thank you, Eric. We appreciate you, man. Uh, Great point. Great question. uh, I want to continue now. He said opportunities. Uh, There's so many folks that when you talk about protecting uh, the environment or investing in the environment or prioritizing the environment, they think that you're sacrificing economic development. Right. Charles Allen, you say no. No. And here's how I would uh, address it. So... As we know, as it relates to any issue in life, what's important is striking a balance, okay? We realize we need an economy. We realize we need life in an area, but we also realize we need the critical habitat and other ecosystem services and benefits that the environment provides to us. So every step of the way, as we do this work or whatever we do, let's make certain we always try to strike that right balance, okay? We need nature. Nature needs us. Mm As you and I talked about earlier, we're not about to move all of these thousands of people out of New Orleans somewhere else. Are you about to go anywhere? I know I'm not about to go anywhere. I sure don't want to. Okay. Not again. (laughs) Right. Not again. So we have to do what we can to make certain that as we continue to sustain life I don't want Baton Rouge to be the lakefront. (laughs) I feel you. But they've been good to us now. Okay. (laughs) Not too hard. Uh, We have to always strike that right balance between Mm -hmm. life and nature. Okay. Mm -hmm. And again because I don't want people to lose sight of the critical uh, bits of information focus here. Um, These sediment diversion projects, they basically help us to strike that right balance. How do we get that critical Mm -hmm. lifeblood back into those vanishing wetland areas that provide protection, enhance fisheries, uh, give us the great seafood that we enjoy whenever we want to enjoy our good food, okay? It's it's it, it it gives us all the ba- the various benefits. You bring me back to a time when we celebrated the first Earth Day here, when we buried the capsules, and I was you you were just a young yeah. a young man then, and yes, I was a contributor. Yes. I actually wrote a piece for that, and it, one of the the lines in the piece that I wrote about the prominence of the Earth was that Earth sustains life. Yeah. No Earth. That's right. No, no life. life. No life. So it's right. really it, it doesn't have to be a scientific equation. No. It's just that simple. Yeah. And it's not all or nothing in either direction. Again, it's that balance. Mm-hmm. It's that balance, you know? 
We got to always make certain that whatever we do in life. The, the Charles Allen is environmentalist, is a scientist, is someone who's looked at these areas. Uh, are people finally getting it? You think? I feel yes. Let me tell you, I have come to feel and experience that ever since Hurricane Katrina mm-hmm. and Rita. Because remember, part of New Orleans, Lower Nine was flooded right. also during Rita. People realize now more than ever in the conversations I, that I've had that ecosystem restoration water management within the city. Mm -hmm. These are all very important things for us if, as we talked about, we're going to continue to sustain life here. We've got, like, some of the calls that have come in, you know. We've got some roving scientists and other professionals out there who may not have gone through any kind of formal education in that regard. But look, life has taught us all. That's right, you know. I'm a Betsy baby. Oh, hey. I I lived (laughs) in the auditorium. I know what it was like to be moved. I know what it was like to be pushed into my auntie's house with all 11 of our children. And look, my dad and his siblings can tell stories about what they did in Pontchartrain Park, trying to help people get out of the park during that time. Wow, what a a powerful conversation we're having with Charles Allen, uh, who's the uh, uh, Community Engagement Director of the Gulf South National Audubon Society, the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion Project. How can people log on to take a look at this project and to see uh, its value and where it's going? How, and how, we, how can we support your efforts so that we can be more conscious and more engaged around our coastal, coastal erosion? Absolutely. So once again, I want to clue people into this website, MississippiRiverDelta.org backslash 360. Take a virtual tour. We call the Virtual Day in the Delta Tour and see how how we need to go about um, regenerating our vanishing wetlands by these river diversion mm-hmm. systems that we're talking about here. And then also, if you want to get involved, there's a link at the top right-hand corner says that says Get Involved. Click that link. And if you want to reach out to me directly, my email address is callen, C-A-L-E-L-E-N, at audubon.org or 504-296-7525 is my cell phone. You're available for kind of community groups, speaking engagements, educating the public. And finally, uh, Charles Allen, before you go, uh, New Orleans is perfectly situated. You know, we've fought against the water and environment for so many years, but moving forward, all of our infrastructure, all of our planning has to be how we live with it. Yeah. Uh, Resiliency projects right now, that has to be part of the status quo moving forward. That's right. That's right. All of those projects and concepts that you mentioned, all the focus on how do we reach that right balance, that critical balance. That's what James talked about. That's right. That critical balance as as it relates to, over time, building resilience. We'll never have enough money to beat uh, Mother Nature. Right. So we have to learn how to live with it. Learn how to embrace it and live with it. Okay. You promise to come back? I certainly will. For you, anything, my brother. Hey, man. OT, man. Uh, and the early bird, Charles Allen. Uh, hey, the Good Morning Show is brought to you by the Greater New Orleans Tourism and Marketing Commission in honor of the 300 sites. Yeah, let's spend the next 300 years talk about how, not how we walled off the water yeah. or concreted our land, but let it be the Charles Allen way. Let's it, let it be how we lived with our water. <laughs> And created more land. And Oliver Thomas way. Thank you. <laughs> hey, when, hey, when we come back, man, we're going to talk to one of the great leaders in this city, John Leonardo, giving hope, uh, retreat, director of the New Orleans mission. We'll be back after the break.